the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So we are now joined by six of the best trainers in the industry, three of whom are amazing human beings, two are mediocre and one that you wouldn't want to introduce to your mother. But I will let you guys decide which is which, because I am going to be going around asking these guys six questions. They will have 60 seconds each to answer to share their thoughts on the world. Uh, these questions have come from members within my Facebook group, or there is one of my own I put in there as well. Uh, so if you want to get your questions in, get in the Facebook group. And uh, yes, some of them have seen the questions. Some, uh, Chris, have elected not to see the <laughs> questions. Uh, and I don't know whether that's wise or not. But either way, we will find out. But as always, or at least as in the first episode, I'm starting off with a bonus question that nobody has seen and I wanted to ask you specifically because it hasn't been the most fun of months. So let's start off with something a bit more positive. And I'm going to ask, what do you love about our industry in three words or less? So in a maximum of three words, what do you love about our industry? And we are starting with Phil. Um, changing people's lives. Changing people's lives. Excellent. And I started doing a timer then. I probably don't need to do a timer for three words, do I? Probably be all right. Uh, so let's move on to Neil. What do you love about the industry in three words or less? Uh, it is gaining satisfaction. Excellent. Uh, Lee, same to you. Um, I love Terry Cook's beard. Oh, we like that. We like that. That's good. If you can uh, navigate more towards me, bonus. Um, Emma. Same to you. Uh, collaboration and teamwork. Chris, what do you like or love about our industry? Not the DVSA. Not the DVSA. <laughs> I was um, going to say that. <laughs> or, Bob, what are you adding into the mix? Um, I think some of the fantastic people that you meet along the way. I mean, it's it's all too easy to get caught up in you know seeing what the dicks write on Facebook and thinking that all the other guys are bad, but they're not. There's some fantastic people out there, some brilliant trainers, some great ADIs, and some wonderful learners. So it's you just got to forget the idiots and focus on the nice people because there's quite a lot of them. Well, that sounded slightly more than three words. Oh, just three words? Yes. <laughs> I love everybody. <laughs> um, but well, on that note, do you know what my three words are? All you guys. That's what I love about the industry. So we'll go with that. So let, let's go to the... Well, yeah, and also, just on that note, because I should mention it, don't be a dick. No need for it. Minimum <laughs> standards, anything above that is a bonus. Um, so, question number one, and this was submitted by my lovely premium member, Les Hopkinson. Should ADIs be more involved teaching the theory? So we're going to come to you again on this. Phil, should ADIs be more involved teaching the theory? Uh, yes and no. Um, I... I think every ADI should have obviously a certain basic level of knowledge for the theory and be using on-road situations to help learners with their theory. But I don't think necessarily every ADI should be having to do like specific theory sessions. Fair enough, if you want to, that's fine. But I, I don't think it's necessarily that everybody should have to. Um, because there are some wonderful theory experts, some of them in the room, um, who you can send your pupils to. Um, 
and yeah, why not have specialists in in the subject that that, that can do a better job? Excellent. Uh, I must admit, um, I think every time you answer Stefan, when we're looking at Chris to see whether he's you know chomping at the bit to come in and disagree just for the sake of it. Um, all right, Neil. Same question to you. Should ADIs be more involved in the theory? Uh, I think I think at present most of them do have a certain amount of involvement in it. I tend to think it is down to the responsibility of the student to do more for themselves. Uh, like Phil said, you know, you can use situations in the car to to explain theory more than normal. So I think it's at the minute, I think it's about 50 50 that we get involved. At, Excellent. And let's move over to you, Lee. Should ADIs be more involved in teaching the theory? Um, I don't think every instructor should because I don't think it's something that everyone would enjoy doing. I think some people would find it quite dull. Um, but if they want to, then then why not? I mean, if you have the same passion that someone like Chris has, for example, about sort of the importance of the knowledge and understanding gained from theoretical study then surely you'd be inspired to then create a platform where you can get paid for teaching theory to learners you know either at home or in the car or whatever but why not add another string to your bow so you know why not open up another revenue stream if you can so anything that would for me anyway anything that would move learners away from this kind of wanky hollow learning model of memorizing question banks can only be a good thing and it would benefit the learners long-term and short-term learning as well and if we got stuck at home because of car trouble or a global pandemic or something, <laughs> then you've still got money coming in. So I think it, it works for everyone if you were inspired to do that. Good stuff. Uh, same question to you, Emma. Um, I don't think we've particularly got time to go in depth with theory on lessons. Um, you know, as it stands, I think a lot of people are time and financial focused when it comes to learning to drive however I also don't like the whole um multiple choice are they just learning by multiple choice therefore are they actually learning what is needed and you know it's it's impossible for us to teach every detail of learning to drive and that includes the theory stuff so as much as I am all for them standing there on their own two feet and them learning um, and taking responsibility for that, I think we can probably maybe incorporate a little bit more um, with what we do in the car, other than what does that road sign mean? And Chris, um, should ADIs be more involved in the theory? No, if they don't want to, um, as it stands at the moment, at least. But we should make the theory so that they can, and so that yeah, the answer is yes. But at the moment, no, because it's not relevant. A lot of it, it's technical. People, it's not because they don't know it, it's because it's badly written. So there's lots of factors at the moment that until we get a decent theory test uh, and we improve things, you know, I, I, I think it's irrelevant. I'd be happy if they got rid of it, um, except that I'd be out of a job. So, you know, outside of that, um, if we can get a theory test that people, that is is worth the paper that's written on, um and worth the effort. If it's not making people safer, what's the point? So, you know, it, it's just a cost. It's just a, a hoop to jump through. Um, so from, from the point of view of people, instructors being involved, um, I want it to get to the point where the answer is yes, 100% everybody should. Hang on. 
a first one today. That's good. Um, okay, so we're going to come over to you, Bob. Same question. Uh, I think every ADI should be able to teach theory. Um, and I think we, we kind of touched on it, I think, on the last one. We, we don't get assessed on our driving or our theory knowledge. And when I'm sat in the back observing lessons and I hear learners ask reasonable questions, I see ADIs that have got no idea what the law is. I'll, I'll ask the question, what does the highway code say? And they don't know. How can you not know the highway code? It should be an expert practitioner of the highway code. So I think we should be tested on it. You know, perhaps every other standards check could be theory and driving because I see some really poor driving from ADIs, really poor. When they're demonstrating stuff, you think, I see trainers trying to execute stuff. And I think, you know, they're, they're attempting to use role play. Well, we'll get into that, but the first role, if you're going to use role play, the first role you have to learn is the error-free drive. And I don't think many ADIs can do that. Oh, still bang on. I'm impressed with these. Um, okay, so the second question, and uh, this came from friend of the show, Hef Field, um, who asked the question, or rephrases question slightly, so should CPD be made compulsory, and what CPD could APIs be doing? So we can interpret that as you see fit, and we're going to start with uh, Neil Whiteman. So should CPD made, be made compulsory, and what CPD should APIs be doing? Uh, I personally believe that CPD should be mandatory and all ADI should be doing a certain amount of CPD. I also think that the DVSA should provide some of the CPD for ADIs to do and it should be a set amount of hours. Uh, there's plenty of opportunity out there. There is free CPD as well out there as well. It's what sort of CPD needed to be included into what they they are looking for and it's i don't believe it's just about cpd for standards checks it's cpd right through the industry like what cars are changing and how they're changing and all sorts of things like that, road safety how they can improve road safety like you know going through somebody like the imtd if you want somebody to name yeah but that, that's, it should be mandatory. Excellent. Uh, so we're coming to you with the same question, Lee. Uh, should CPD be compulsory and what CPD could ABIs be doing? Um, I think sort of like what Neil said, I think it, it personally it should be, but I can't see how it can be kind of under the current format being governed by the DBSA. Um, I think CPD can be compulsory if you make it compulsory. Um, because if you're not, I think you should always be constantly looking to improve and stay in line with the industry changes and you should want to stay up to date. Um, and then you would find it compulsory for yourself to go out and get some training. It's very easy to get left behind in this industry. And, you know, I know because I've, I've been there, you know, and the standards check is compulsory. So training that you seek out for yourself should be as well. Um, you shouldn't need anyone to make you do it. Um, the last thing you want to do is end up failing like I did and end up with a face like a punch those on you. Okay, so let's come over to Emma and we're going to ask you the same question. Yeah, I, I think it should. Um, I don't necessarily think we need to do a lot of hours or, you know, it doesn't need to be something. I think, I think when you talk to ADIs, a lot of them are under this impression that 
if you have to do CPD, it's going to cost you money. But that's not the case. You know, it's not the case. There's a lot of free stuff out there. I mean, this podcast, uh, you know, for one example, there's a lot of free stuff there. And I think they also think that a lot of CPD is in um, industry related, as in direct to things like standard checks and things like that. But actually, a lot of my CPD is actually about me and looking after me and my well-being. Because if I don't do that, I'm not doing my job well either. So, you know, a lot of my CPD comes from well-being. And, and, and that relates back to me doing a good job at work. Excellent. And it's probably worth me making a note now, because I've done something here that I get annoyed and other people do, which is just using the acronym and not saying what the acronym is. CPD, Continuous Personal Slash Professional Development. Uh, so for anyone listening that didn't know what that was, maybe rewind and listen again. I think I'll go on from here. Uh, so Chris, uh, we're going to you again. Should CPD be made compulsory and what could ABI, ADIs be doing? Uh, no, it shouldn't. But anyone who doesn't do it should have their badge removed. So. Um, we we don't want people who aren't wanting to improve and be better at what they do and getting the best for everybody out there and you know moving forward if you're not moving forwards you're moving backwards so you know it shouldn't have to be absolutely not everybody here should should be you know be wanting to to do it and if you're not then you know just give up that would be lovely um uh, just to to go back to what neil said about um uh, the DVA DVSA providing CPD for ADIs, yes, and we should be able to provide it for the DVSA as well. Um, so I think that should be a two-way street. Um, I would like to just, you know, I, I think have some control over what our CPD is. So we're coming to you, Bob, same question. It would be lovely if we could make it compulsory, but, I mean, what would you make it? Well, it's, you know, in, in again, in a former life, I was, I was head of centre at London Driving Centres, when we used to deliver qualifications, teaching qualifications, assessor qualifications. And when the external verifier came, they wanted to see the CPD logs of every member of staff. What have your staff done since I was here last to develop themselves? And as Emma said, some of it was free stuff. Some of it was visiting other centres. You know, Some of the best CPD you can do is sit in the back of your mate's car, see what they're doing, com- contrast and compare. And I think we should... We should try and invest in being better all the time. And it's it's not something that's being pushed by the DVSA so that there's no real impetus to do it because we, as an industry, we don't see the value. You only have to talk to somebody who's undertaken some CPD to realize how valuable it can be. So, so we're going to come to you lastly, Phil. Should it be compulsory? Um, yeah, but no, <laughs> um, like it, it shouldn't have to be is probably my answer. Um, I almost wouldn't want the DVSA to make it compulsory either because I think they'd make a hash of it. It would be like two hours a year and that would probably be worse because then people would only do two hours a year, maybe even people who were currently doing more. Um, so yeah, I, it just should be what we want to do. We should be trying to constantly be improving and, and getting better. So I don't think it should have to be, but um, I suppose maybe when times are a bit tougher, the people who don't do CPD will find their way out of the industry anyway, um, possibly. That, that, that might be the way forward. Um, I'm not sure I fully agree on it, all this sort of kind of it being free. I, I, I think actually we should be paying people for their advice and and uh, knowledge as well 
I um I'm impressed with you guys there because I don't think I could have kept my answer to that within 60 seconds. I think that would have been a big tirade, a big rant from me. Uh, and I will just say, if you're listening to this and you want some CPD, then uh, fire your question into six for 60 for the next one because you can get it answered by six of the best trainers in the industry, five of which, three of which are awesome human beings. Um, yeah, so let's move on to question three. Now, uh, this is a question that I've put in myself. Uh, so all the other five are from, uh, were submitted by people in the Facebook group. This one I shoehorned in because I had a little bit of bee in my bonnet about this one. Uh, so I'm not going to put any context on it. I'll just ask it. If an ADI has a good pass rate and never gets any complaints, but fails a standards check, what does that say about the ADI and the system? So I'll repeat that. If an ADI has a good pass rate and never gets any complaints, but then fails a standards check, what does that say about the ADI and the system? So we're coming to you first on this one, Lee. Um, I don't think it says a great deal about the system. Um, a good pass rate says that the instructor is doing a really good job at helping people pass the driving test, uh, but not necessarily a good job in the eyes of the DVSA and the national standard. You know, as as we know, that that's kind of designed to help create safer drivers of the future where long-term learning is taking place. And, and that's something that our pass rates don't really confirm or deny, really. Um, if we fail the standards check, it simply means we didn't satisfy the criteria on the exam on that day at that time. If we fail three standards checks, that suggests that the way that we're working isn't in line with the criteria of the national standard. And if that's the case, after three attempts, then maybe it's because we either didn't want to change or we didn't seek any training to help us make that change. Excellent. So, um, Emma, if an ADI has a good pass rate and never gets any complaints but fails a standards check, what does that say about the ADI and the system? Um. Partly agree with what some of what Lee said. It's it's forty minutes in time, you know. It's a forty minute session of that that in, um, examiner setting in the back of your lesson. Anything can happen on that day, you know. I the the standards check the one before last was terrible for me, but I had I lost a relative the day before. In hindsight, I probably shouldn't have gone for it, but I did. And that forty minutes that I did wasn't me, you know. So. That's on me for that at that at that point, but it, it is. I don't think the system, the system can't take any more regulation. It it can't take what we do. It can't regulate us any more than what it does. So it can only be that forty minutes. But if you've got a good pass rate and your learners are doing well, then for me, you're doing a good job. And um, Chris, same question. It means that fish can't climb trees. Um, so you, you're measuring two totally different things. You, you've got your test pass rate is the minimum standard. Um, doesn't mean the ADI is doing a good job because people will pass anyway. Um, the COVID statistics of, of pass rate when they didn't have lessons with instructors showed that. Um, we like to think it's us. It's not necessarily. They can learn in spite of. Um, just by going to get the experience. And then the other side of it is, you know, the, the standards check is whether you agree with what they are measuring. And if it's a measurement of an educational session, nothing to do with measuring the instructor. I don't believe that the standards check does assess the instructor. It assesses the educational structure of the session that's delivered. Then it's a different thing. Um, and you have to take into account all of those other human factors uh that will affect people when they're being assessed on time again bob 
if an ADI has a good pass for it and never gets any complaints, but fails a standards check, what does that say about the ADI in the system? It says that the ADI possibly doesn't understand the assessment that's been applied against them. Um, the vast majority of trainers that I speak to, never mind ADIs, have not read the National Standard for Driver and Rider Training. And what that standard is asking us to do is to help the learner learn in an effective way, i.e. not be lectured at, not told what to do, but help to discover stuff. Now, whether you believe that's the right thing to do or not, pass rate's got nothing to do with that. The school of mum and dad have got a better pass rate than we have, so that kit that one you know, to the side straight away. But it's as an industry, we don't understand what we're being asked to do. And yeah, so what do we do about that? Well, we, we look at the status check, we just try and set fire to it, rather than being smart and trying to understand it. So if you understand it, you've got much more chance of passing it. It is totally fit for purpose. And if you're failing it multiple times, you need to point the finger of blame firmly back at you, because that's a game changer. You point it away from you, nothing changes. I'm liking some of these mic drop moments right at the end when the timer's going off. It is, it is good. Uh, Phil, same question. Um, I'm, I'm with Chris on this. They're completely different um, markers. And it's actually one of my bugbears with the with the trigger system because it means that people with really good pass rates might not be getting called in for standards checks and therefore not improving their driving lessons. Um I would commend this ADI for having great customer service and also commend him for having a great pass rate because that means he's taking up pupils who are ready. But how he's getting them there, or she, sorry, um, <laughs> might not be the right way, might not be um, helping his learner, their learners um, for like post-test which may be coming in a bit later. Sorry, Chris. Um, um, but it might be helping helping the learners with um, safe driving for life. And and so I think that that's maybe what the standard check more aims towards is, is that safe driving for life. Excellent. And then lastly to you, Neil, uh, same question. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a, a reflection on the ADI. If they fail a standards check, they've probably just not put enough effort and time into their self you know they they've probably not looked at the national standards and took the time to probably understand it a little bit more like bob said not a lot of trainers or uh, adis do understand the national standards that much uh so the the, the good pass rate uh never been asked for my pass rate so why does that really matter you know, it could be that the ADI is just training by rote all the time and doing nothing else but everything to pass the driving test. So uh, I don't really think it, it does matter. You know, it's it's all about the ADI investing more time in himself to make himself better. Excellent. And I uh, spent the entirety of those saying, Terry, you are the host. Terry, you are the host. Do not intervene. Do not interject. <laughs> And we'll be back in just a moment because we're taking a brief pause before we come back of our final three questions for our wonderful trainers to point you in the direction of the Instructor Podcast Premium. 
Because if you are enjoying these shows, you can get them early and ad-free just by signing up. But on top of that, for just £10 a month, you can get over 120 exclusive premium shows based around things like coaching, uh, the standards check training. We've got stuff in there about building your business, mindfulness, self-care, all this kind of cool stuff. Over 100 shows over there, like I said. And all that's available for just £10 a month. But if you would like to step your game up even further, you can go up to the £22 here, where for that you get all the stuff I've just mentioned, plus you get access to watch the show's lives and interact and ask questions, as well as getting some expert sessions from industry uh, legends like Chris Benstead and Ray Seagrave, Neil Whiteman, Confident Drivers, all that kind of cool stuff. And you also get access to the Problem Solvers. Now, Problem Solvers where I open my Zoom room four times a month for you guys to come in and essentially get your problem solved so go check it out you can find that in the link uh you can find the link in the show notes or you can just go and search for www.theinstructorpodcast.com and get more information over there but it's like 10 pound on if you get all that awesome stuff but for now let's get back into the show okay question number four um, what would you say to ADIs or PDIs about the lesson theme section on the ADI one marking sheet? And that question comes from Alex Jones. So what would you say to ADIs or PDIs about the lesson theme section on the ADI one marking sheet? And that is to Emma to begin with. What I normally say to PDIs mainly at the moment is, um, the lesson theme isn't about us. It's not up to us to determine what the lesson theme is. That's the examiner's job. He'll figure that out. Um, he, I think, I think a lot of ADIs and PDIs get bogged down with maybe some of them coming from the old sort of check test way, where it was very focused on the topic as opposed to the learner. Um, that, that they need to figure out which box they're going to tick there. Am I doing junctions? Am I doing roundabouts? Actually, it's got nothing to do with that. That's that's just there for the examiner. Excellent. So uh, we're going to go to Chris. What would you say to ADIs or PDIs about the lesson theme section on the ADI one marking sheet? What Emma said. Um, so, yeah, nothing nothing to do with us. It's It's really useful. It's good to have it on there. I don't think we should have a list of things. Um, I think having, you know, it, it, it just a slightly more, well, they've got the syllabus, haven't they? They've, they've got the, the ready to pass syllabus, stick that on there instead. Um, so that those things are there because from a management reports perspective, it's going to be useful. There'll be feedback from that, whether they communicate that well with us or not, we'll wait and see. But I think, yes, it, it's really good because, it will help us see where there are potentially problems or it, it kind of limits things like doing manoeuvres or whatever it might be. But from our perspective, just do what's right for the people. Um, and and actually forget the theme and pick the skill, um, focus on the skill, and you're going to get better results anyway. Mm-hmm. Welcome to you next, Bob. Same question. Um, yeah, I think it's nothing to do with us. In fact, I'd rather it wasn't on the form. Uh, we're in the realm of developing knowledge, understanding, or skills. So that theme has got nothing to do with that. Because what tends to happen is people think, it used to happen on the old test. Somebody was doing a turn in the road on, on the old test, and, and the clutch control went pear-shaped. 
they would keep plowing on with turning the rod because that was the lesson put it there rather than isolating the clutch and, and fixing that so we need to focus on development of skills knowledge and understanding so I, I wish it wasn't on the form and i always say to my pdis that bit there nothing to do with you for office use only Excellent. So we're going to come to you, Phil. What would you say to ADIs or PDIs about the lesson theme section on the ADI one marking sheet? Yeah, I'm just going to mirror everyone else's um, comments. It's, it's none of your business. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's basically data collection for the DVSA, really, isn't it? Um, what they do with that, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's none of your business. I um, absolutely agree you should be teaching skills, not topics. Um so you're yeah you'll let and, and let the examiner work out what what it happened to be and if he can't they'll they'll put it in the other box anyway <laughs> i don't know what this lesson was about but it was really good um, so um yeah none of your business that's my answer good stuff um neil same question yeah i'm, I'm gonna have to agree with everybody else i think it's more or I tell my PDIs and that to just focus on the need of the pupil and their goal and everything else will just follow on. And like everybody's saying, the examiners will work that out. So why do we need to worry? It's focus on their need, their goal, and that will just give a good lesson and everything else will just drop into place. Lee, can we trust you to throw some spice into this mix? Yeah, I disagree with everyone. No, I'm Excellent. only oh. <laughs> um, You know, like everyone else has said, it it's it's there to help the examiner to pigeonhole what was worked on after the event. Great, that's good for them. Well done. But it's there's it no point in it for us. No point in it for ADIs and BDIs. Um, so my advice is just don't bother. Don't look at it. Like everyone else has said, you know, focus on what your learner needs to work on on that day at that time. When that changes, your plans need to change as well um to stay constantly in line with your learners constantly changing needs and they will so focus on that focus on planning to change the plan not something that you pick from a list in a box um and why are people still doing that does it does no one else wonder that like i see it on facebook all the time like i've decided i'm going to do dual carriageways on my exam why are you posting that why is your trainer not nipping that in the bud why is nobody li hello why is nobody listening it, it just drives me mad <laughs> you for throwing some spiders in the mix, Lee. Um, much appreciated. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the comments to those posts always amuse me greatly, um, especially when you get to number 72 of them. You, you have a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, the most comment that I see. <laughs> it's going to change number five, question number five. <laughs> no. um, all right, so we're going to a bit more road safety now, something slightly different. This one is from Susan Bates, who asks, what are your thoughts on graduated driving licenses? So, Chris, uh, you're up first on this one. What are your thoughts on graduated driving licenses? I always start with define graduated driving license because I don't think anyone's on the same page. I think everyone's got a different perspective of it. Um, they work everywhere else in the world. They, they're a really good thing. We should definitely have them of some kind. But do I trust them not to balls it up? Uh, probably not. It will be watered down to the you know to to some kind of pointless level of of activity, or it will be over red tape regulated and you know cause problems, not solutions. 
Um, and it won't be the human factors that get addressed, which is a massive issue. And if you want to know more about what you know, what I think, then check out DIA's Motor Mouth. And uh, we had a good chat about graduated driving licenses on there. I heard that's a really good podcast. Um, you said we had a really good chat on there. I believe that um, Harley and the other chap, was it Sean Hellman? Had a really good chat. Well, someone, someone else sat in the background and didn't get asked many questions, if I recall correctly. Um, Bob, <laughs> graduating well, licenses. A, it's a great idea. You know, allow people to, to progress as they gain experience and knowledge. But it's, you know, they, they did it with motorbikes. Um, you know, they tried all ways with that because lots of people were dying on motorbikes. So they decided they would make people just ride 125s instead of 250s. And within six months, Yamaha developed the 125 that's 100 miles an hour. So you're always going to have these little things that it would it would require a lot of work. Um, and I don't know who would who would monitor it. Can we trust the DVSA with that? No. So it's a tricky one. I think insurance does a better job of that than anything else at the minute because it's too expensive to insure a really fast car. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it, it would be useful to limit horsepower in the first couple of years, potentially. But I think the better solution is to just help them to become better decision makers so less of them do stupid shit. Doing less stupid is always good advice, I think. Uh, so we're going to come to you next, Phil, and feel free to chuck in a plug for the XL podcast because I think that's coming back soon. So, you know. It, that was more about the fact that um, how you love to call things podcasts when they're not podcasts. Uh, the... Um, I forgot what the question was now. Graduated license. So, um, yes, I, I think something, if it makes it better, but it has to make it better. Um, would I, I post-test graduated sort of kind of stuff? I'm not sure how that would be policed and how that would work. And like you said, insurance companies do a pretty sort of, or could even maybe do a better job. Um, I think maybe pre-test, I'd like to see some sort of like modular-based signing off um, mm -hmm. so that instructors are held to, to, to account to who they're sending to test. Um, if you've signed them off um, uh, in it, like each section of modules, I think that would be quite quite an interesting conversation, at least, to see if that would work. And graduated at licenses at Neil... Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think, something that could possibly work, but there's too many intricate details at the minute. Uh, I quite agree. We feel that it should be pre-test rather than post-test for uh, probably, you know, a period of, say, six months where they can gain experience, but they have got somebody next to them, so a family member or something. Uh it's I, I think it's one of those a lot of people think it's a good idea but a lot of people don't really want it uh what's the cost of it who's going to police it there, there's lots and lots of issues that need ironing out before they say yeah this is going to be a goer but like bob said insurance does a good job at the minute so unless you make every car the same speed <laughs> there's that to it as well Lee, what are your thoughts on graduated driving licenses? Um, well, kind of like Chris said, I think it's important that we look at what other countries are doing and, and learn from them. Um, why do all the why do a lot of other countries do it and we don't? 
Um, is it this kind of great British arrogance thing? You know, some, sometimes it's a case of put your flag down and look at the bloody numbers because they don't lie. It's still too many. So anything that we can do to to change this, the, the number of road deaths in this country, surely that's something that should be explored, you know, vigorously. Um, what I don't like the idea of is kind of curfews and stuff like that. Because um, I think for every 17-year-old sort of tracksuit knobhead, there's, there's a good kid as well that doesn't deserve to be discriminated against because they're young. I was hooked on tracksuit knobhead there. Um, <laughs> Emma, when you were 17, were you a tracksuit knobhead or were you a good kid? Um, I, Probably a little bit of both. I, and then I, settled, I settled down quite early, so I I got pulled back from falling off the face of that cliff. <laughs> um, all right, well, what are your thoughts on graduated driving licences? Um, very similar to what some of the guys said. It's like, how is it going to be introduced? How is it going to be formatted? How is it going to work? Um, we can't really get what we're doing right, so I don't know, but... I think we need to look at things like, you know, the reason why these people, these kids are having accidents so that you know, so close to passing the test. And, you know, maybe looking at the theory test and thinking, well, could could that do more to to tackle things like speed, deaths, li- literally put it in their faces that this is what this is what is happening. This is a real thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that will disagree with like things like speed awareness courses, but there's a lot of people who go on those and actually have their eyes opened and going, wow, this is actually, you know, this is really important. Is there something that we could do pre-test that brings in the factors of why we're having so many road deaths? I just want to touch back on the most important point there, which is a podcast has an RSS feed uh, for anyone wondering. Uh, that is literally the definition of a podcast. Um I don't know how else I can be more clear. Uh, all right, so last, well, last official question, shall we say. Uh, how can instructors go beyond teaching for a test that was sent in by Anselm Purston? How can instructors go beyond teaching for a test, Bob? I think it should be standard. We shouldn't be teaching towards a test. We should be helping them to become great decision makers, because great decision makers don't crash and die. Um, it should all be about, okay, here's a scenario that you've got. How would this be different in X, Y, Z scenarios? You know, what would you do here if you had a load of your mates in the car? What would you do here if this happened? How are you deciding how to? Okay, I noticed that you did this. Did you think that was the right speed to travel there? I do. Okay, what are you basing that on? So we should be drilling into what's going on inside the head and making everything about post-test. Everything's about post-test. It's just, they just happen to pass the test along the way. It should all be about how you're going to work in the real world and how's this going to how's this going to work? I think. So, short answer. Phil, how can instructors go beyond teaching for a test? I would fully mirror that. I think um, throughout all of your sessions, whatever you're teaching, conversations should be obviously that they need the skill to do the task, but also how how would this be different? at night how would this be different if it was raining how would this be different if you had two mates in the back of the car um i think it's also important when you have those conversations is to come up with solutions to them so what would you do if one of your mates 
refuse to put his seatbelt on? How would you handle that? What, how would that conversation go? Like have a conversation so that they have a solution in mind when those situations come up. So I think there's um, definitely all those conversations. I'd also add you can do stuff like um, I do car park lessons where we don't park, but we just drive around car parks, um, get them to do fuel, trips to work, go see a mechanic, do some tire changes, um, talk about insurance. So all of the stuff that they're going to have to know after the test. Same question. Yeah, uh, it's all post-test or should be post-test related. Uh, A lot, like Phil says, doing lots of different things rather than just driving lessons, you know, taking them to really, really dangerous junctions and putting them in and saying, so how would you deal with this? What what sort of things do you need? How are you going to think about it? What's going to happen if you make the wrong decision? Even if that's just stood by the side of the road at that dangerous junction, getting them to think about it. Uh, a lot of instructors, I think, just teach rote, so it's not really Im- improving anything other than passing the driving test. But if we aim everything at post-test and the way they're going to deal with other things, it's it's got to be more beneficial to, to not only the learner, but everybody else around them. Good stuff. Uh, so coming to you again, Lee, how can instructors go beyond teaching for a test? Um, well, like a lot of people have said already, it's it should be about driving in the real world. Um, and it's often not because we're scared of the standard check and we're thinking about them, them that test data all the time. So we're, our mind is focused on the test. But it's to me, it's kind of a mindset. So if you, you should choose to have that mindset of putting safe drivers on our roads, that is your job. That's what you should be thinking about every single day. And then choose to trust in the process. So you won't need to worry about your test results if you're doing a really good job. So it's kind of a mindset, you know, make your next learner a thinker, you know, not a robot that just follows. And and like we've said, like learning by rote and stuff, you know, challenge their thinking, stimulate their thought process constantly, you know, help them think, help them to think like you think, Um, because they don't, they think about the test and it's not about the test. Stop it. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you, you get them to think how you think you can do that and you can change how they think. And it's about risk and consequence in the outside world. And Emma, what are your thoughts? Um, my first bit of advice would be who am I in the car with? And why are they in the car with me? Why are they there? What are they learning for? What is the what's the purpose of being with me? You know, is it is it because they're gonna be commuting? Are they gonna be going seeing granny at the seaside and they, they live in the city? You know, what what is the driving you know what's what's going to be their main purpose of driving and work with that as much as possible um and build the other stuff around that um you know for me this is about finding out who the individual is not just who what they're going to be doing post-test but who are they like how do they tick you know what is the stressors what are the things that that's going to make them tip over the edge you know figuring that stuff out and then figuring out well how are you going to deal with that if that happens when you're driving a car you know figure out who they are as a person can really help to develop and i think if people are looking for someone to go for information i would do the hermes report on gd matrix i wish that this <laughs> 660 had been about when i will become an instructor because this would be a really useful resource um 
Chris, let's see if we can continue along the theme of being a useful resource. As you tell us how instructors can go beyond teaching for a test. Um, one of the things is to focus on the test. Uh, so actually have have a session where you just do that and you answer all their questions. So you get rid of the bloody questions. You can focus on the other stuff. Um, so I think so often we try not to, some instructors are trying not to, and end up causing that as a problem, it's okay to focus on the test if it's relevant at that point because you're dealing with their nerves and their confidence and their anxieties. Um, I think one of the options would be scrap the test, but we can't do that. So scrap the test area. Don't go there. Teach them in a place that's totally different and then take them to the test in the place they've never been before. And if you're achieving that well, you're going to be getting it right. And I also think that we're causing some of that problem by saying post-test, because that's still got a test focus. We need to focus on the bigger picture of driving and safety and risk. So on. Um, uh, the Instructor Podcast Season 6 returns on the 29th of October, and I'm considering introducing this timer as a regular feature just for, for the, the guests. It could come back it fun. Um, all right, so does anyone want an additional 60 seconds to follow up on any of those comments or retorts, anything anyone else has said? Yeah, yeah. If I, if I'm here, I think it's... We, we, no, shy I away. <laughs> we shy away from this idea of you know, safe driving for life thing because we think it's going to take too long. You know, it, it's... Phil's talked about the stuff that he gets his learners to do, but I'll, I'll, I'll bet that it doesn't take him any longer to do that than it'll take the average ADI to get them ready for tests because we're dealing with modern training and learning environments. So learning happens at a ridiculously fast rate, so you can add this other stuff in. You know, and you're not going to be faced with, oh, I don't want to do all of that because it's going to cost me more money, because it's not. Anyone else wants to chip in? And re- Oh, we've got Chris, so, yeah, go for it. I, I think you know, following on from what Bob said uh, and and what Phil was saying is no one complains about the extras when you go to a hotel if they're nice and you like them and you see a benefit in them. You know, so make sure that what you're delivering is really good and they won't complain. The only time they'll complain is if they don't think it's worth it or if they don't think they're getting anything out of it. Well, then don't deliver that crap. Deliver the good stuff. You know, deliver the stuff that's relevant to them. As Emma was saying, know who's in the car with you, know what they want and need, and focus on that. Because if they've got kids of their own and you're de- delivering car seat safety in the car and you're talking about how to keep the kids entertained on a long journey, they're going to love it. It's great. And and it doesn't necessarily have to be an extra. It could be during because you don't have to sit there in silence. You can actually talk to the person sat next to you. It's great. This uh, 6 for 60 episode is a bonus. It's an extra. So hopefully people are liking this and not complaining about it. Although I kind of think if they complain about this, that could, you know, weed out some of the uh, the uh, the less favourable people. Um, <laughs> you guys want to chip in with anything? Do you want six seconds or are you ready to move on? Or all good. So before I come on to the final question that I haven't told you about, um, I just want to give a quick mention for everyone listening or watching potentially that on the 8th of October, I think I've got that date right, that is the Intelligent Instructor and ADI NJC Expo. If you are down there, make sure you hop along to watch the Instructor podcast being recorded live. Uh, We are joined by Sophie Thompson. We're going to talk about mindfulness and self-care and 
all kinds of other wonderful stuff. I'm trying to convince her at the minute to um, to play her ukulele on stage, but we'll see if that happens or not. I'm also trying to get her to uh, record a new theme tune for the show using that, but we'll see. Um, but we are in the process of creating this little special gift for you. So anyone that comes along to watch it being recorded live will get a very nice little present. It's not a mug this time. that I forgot to give out last time, Chris. Uh, that's why there's so many in the background. Um, but a uh, nice little treat for you all there. Uh, I have no idea what time we're on yet because as far as I'm aware, about 80% of people have been told and I haven't. So I can't tell you what time, but come along and uh, I'm sure you'll stumble across us somewhere. Um, so I'm going to finish up just by asking everybody else the last question, which is where can people find you and what is special about what you offer or what you do? So Chris, in 60 seconds, where can people find you and what is special about what you offer or what you do? At the Expo 130 in the PDI um, area. Um, you can find me on the DITC, uh, which is the signposting platform for the driving instructor industry. You can find me on Theory Test Explained, which is the uh, leading one-to-one -one Zoom theory provider in the industry. And I'm going to take that until someone comes along and says otherwise. Um, and uh, you can find me on Facebook and we can have a chat and it'd be great. Thank you. What's special about what you do? What's special? Me, I'm special. Uh, people mean it in a really nasty way sometimes, but um, no, I, I, I love, I love the industry. I love learning more and and doing stuff. So um, I can probably talk to you about just about anything. Good okay, Bob. Um, where can you, people you. find you, and what is special about what you do? What's special about what I do? You're going to find me at uh, clientcenterlearning.co.uk and pdiadi.com. Uh, I'm also at the uh, at the expo, ten thirty. <laughs> well, they're thinking, do you print on my seat? Yeah. Back. What's what's special about what I do? I, I like to think that I can demystify stuff, that, that I can I can make things understandable and show people that it, it, it really isn't that difficult. It really isn't. Hey, okay. <laughs> Felt like you were to continue there. Thought there was a monologue coming, but no, that was it. That's fine for me, uh, Phil. I don't know what you're going to say, or at least one bit of what you're going to say. Um, where can people find you, and what's special about what you do? Well, I'll be at the expo, uh, yeah. 12.45, just before Chris and the video. <laughs> um, um, I, um, you can find me on Facebook. Hit me up um, if you want some training. Um, I do Zooms if you, if, if you want some advice on, on your standards check or part three um if you're a pdi come and join lose pdi group um and um the admin team there are always happy to help and offer advice and it's such a friendly group um and a great legacy to lou um if you're looking for some part one or theory for your learners i have just recently um set up a new theory website um practice dash theory dash test.com catchy um uh which is me basically presenting the information that um learners need for their theory test um it's not one-to-one -one, it's just a, a course um one-to-one -one, go for Chris. i think we have established uh who intelligently instructor wouldn't introduce to their mother um <laughs> Yes. Okay. So you can sense my mood dipping slightly. So we're going to Neil. Neil, uh, where can people find you and what is special about what you offer or what you do? Yeah, so people can find me on Facebook. They can find me at the Audit Academy. 
Uh, they can also find me within the TIMTD, uh, offering C free CPC, C C D P, whatever it is. <laughs> and what's special about me is I put my training in a way that you can understand it better. So the best way to do that is go and buy my book, Untwisted the Road to Success. Excellent. Uh, Lee. Same question to you. Where can people find you and what's special about what you do? You know you always have a, a go at me when I don't dig myself up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you can find me at one of the twins, um, adidoctor.co.uk or pdidoctor.co.uk, depending on your license preference at this point. Um, I suppose I tend to have a way of helping people understand. Um, it's not enough to just know you have to understand as well you know you notice this with your learners every day if they know it and they don't understand it it doesn't work um so if you feel that you need clarification on anything standard check part three related then i am your man um you can find me on facebook as well my group um i can help um make it make sense and that's what i always aim to do um, i also provide um in car training as well if you're in the northwest area you can help make it make sense. I like that. I'll accept that as 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 you being special about what you do. We'll go. We'll take that. Um, Emma, same to you. Um, driving school related. You can find me uh, Facebook and Instagram at Up Driving School. If you're my biggest goal moving forward now is helping ADIs and PDIs help their learners, and to do that, they need to find out who their learner is. That's my biggest, biggest goals going forward. Um, and I am the author of the Learner Driver Logbook. And that is going to be the goal because that book helps your learner figure out who they are, what they're learning for, what motivates them, what drives them. Um, and when things are going to hit the fan, what are they going to do and how are they going to develop that? It allows them to figure these things out so that, you know, hopefully when we're not there anymore, they're going to be able to do that and develop but I also run um, a freedom holistics and coaching business. Um, and that's all about ADIs, PDIs and anybody um, to find who they are. Because if you don't know who you are, you can't help anybody else. Um, yeah. So special announcement um, before we go any further, because I don't think I think we've agreed this. So if I haven't, then this will be getting edited. Um, then get our number two, which is in January. Uh, first announcement of the guest. Emma Cottington uh, will be on the Megan R number two. I'm not going to announce the others till later on in the year, but there you go. We might as well say it now because she's here. Um, so that's Your what's pleasure. special about you. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, okay, cool. So thank you guys for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always. I'm off to sulk in a corner for a bit. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.